to Mono Rants at the Movies, a podcast where we rant about films you may have seen at house parties. I'm one of your hosts and jack of all trades Mono, and luring me onto the rocks so she can turn me over to the cops is my co-host and master of none, Kira. I want to suck your brain with a straw. <laughs> Wrong kind of siren. Yeah, oh, but the fun kind. <laughs> I like how he used his kidney as a comma. <laughs> I, I want you to be Pete Tranter's sister. Oh, Pete Tranter's sister. <laughs> but no, we, we ain't talking about Red Dwarf today. We are talking about, I don't know, maybe a surprising choice for us? In not that, really. Well, it's in that it's not like... Shocking it's based and, on a classic, and you studied classics. Yeah, but I mean, look at all the other films we've covered up to this point. Yeah, I suppose. But we promised something with a bit more substance than AVP last week. And <laughs> yeah, because that is just explosions and fists full of popcorn. Yeah, and I think a Coen Brothers film fits the bill. Yeah, it tends to. And I'm just because not a fan of Wes Anderson at all, so this is probably about as highbrow as it's going to get. Probably. Yeah, no, I don't think we'll ever cover a Wes Anderson. I we'll really... probably cover a couple more Coen Brothers, but I don't think we'll ever cover a Wes Anderson. No. No, we have another Anderson that we love on this podcast. Yes. Mortal <laughs> uh, Kombat! Do, do. No, I'm not going yeah. saying <laughs> But yeah, this week we're talking, oh, Brother, where are they out from... Nine, uh, no, not 99, 2000. 2000, yeah. Yes. Jesus, really? Yeah, and a film I didn't see at a house party, but I saw it in the cinema. Who was taking you to the cinema to see this? Oh, well, it was my mum. I was 14. <laughs> oh, she wanted to see it. and you She just, wanted to see yeah. it, and I went along, and I was like, oh, this is going to be, like, what? And uh, I Ooh, fucking loved singing. it. I fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, uh, there's... I mean, I know this is probably... Yeah, you could count this as a musical, and I generally hate musicals. No, the music in this works so well. The music is such so intrinsic to this. Yeah, and there's a whole section of my notes that's about the music. Oh, the, uh, fuck, the album lives in my car. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, it's a... You do get weird looks though, blaring oh death. Yeah, you do get weird looks blaring a lot of that album. Yeah, but I think I actually possibly prefer this over Big Lebowski, and that's something for me. Yeah, you love the Big Lebowski. I love the Big Lebowski, but this film is just. I find this more watchable, like rewatchable than the Big Lebowski. I have to be in a really, really specific mood to watch the Big Lebowski. Yeah, and I think you can show this to anyone. Yeah. You kind of need to show the Big Lebowski to somebody who's who's at least taken some drugs. Yeah. For them to appreciate it fully. <laughs> but this, this anybody, you could show this to your grandma, you could show it to your kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could literally, could you could, well, you were a kid when you were taken to see this. So. Yeah, well, teenager. But, yeah. yeah. No, you could show this to kids. It is very sweet. Definitely. There's a whole load of heart going on in this. Oh, definitely. Like it, It's super charming. And, yes. Um, it is disgustingly charming. Yeah, and it's not when you say it has a lot of heart it's not like it's not saccharine or overly sweet or anything like that it's it's like okay there's a bit of like romancy stuff at the end but it's not gushy or anything no and it's uh, they, they kind of all the three of them care for each other in the, these really weird kind of sweet way yeah there's a bit in particular with Pete that really illustrates that I think yeah but before we get too far into it <laughs> Shall we go for a summary? Yeah. I'm just, I'm not even going to bother trying to phrase it any other way from no, now on. No. Like, not that I ever have. <laughs> just try and shoehorn it in there somewhere. Yeah, I, will, I have enough shoehorning to do when I try and like segue between things. So it's always, <laughs> it's always going to be, shall we go for a summary? Yeah. But in this case, in a desperate attempt to retrieve a buried hall of cash before it's lost forever, escaped convict Ulysses Everett McGill and his two easily led companions embark on an odyssey in 1930s Mississippi. Along the way, they meet sirens, a cyclops, a bipolar bank robber, and even become a hit music sensation. But it'll take all of Everett's cunning and a bit of dumb luck to make it to the treasure on time and stay ahead of a sinister sheriff and his hounds. Oh, he's so evil. 
Oh, yes, he is. Daniel. So evil. Daniel Van Bergen, also known as Commandant Commandant Spangler. Spangler. Do you fucking hear that, Planty? Commandant Spangler. Uh, Yeah, he's great in this. He is so good. He's the devil. He's not in a huge amount of it, but. Yeah, he is supposed to be the devil. Yeah. And when Tommy. Based off Tommy's description of the devil. Yeah, when when Tommy describes the devil, that's pretty (gasps) much exactly what Sheriff Cooley is the character looks like. Yeah. And yeah, he's just this. Awesomely sinister presence the whole way through. It's the, the glasses. Film. He's got these oh, is, amazing, yeah. like mirrored round sunglasses, and every time there's a reflection in them, it just happens to be fire. Yeah, I was going to say it's most often fire reflected. And it is. Yeah, there's just something about it, and it's always nighttime when you see him. So why is he wearing fucking sunglasses? Um, yeah, it's just for for the the, the ambiance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe the ambiance isn't the right word. Well, no, maybe it is for the ambiance. We don't know what we don't know what he's seeing through those glasses. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a film of great characters, like little bit characters. There's tons of them throughout this, and some pop back in and out throughout it. Um, but so many of them are great, like between Pappy and George Nelson and Big Dan Teague and all of them. They're just so much fun. This is all about the journey. Oh, absolutely. The destination in this does not matter. I mean, it, it does to one character in particular, obviously. But, but yeah, the the journey in and of itself is so entertaining. Oh, yeah. And that, that is the point. And and, and obviously, I, I think if anybody knows anything about this film, they know that it's it's based loosely on the Odyssey. Well, he, uh, Homer has it credit. Yes. But they I, was, have I the... was delighted to see on IMDb. <laughs> Homer, Homer has a credit. and it, it, it Initially, it's like 10 writing credits, but then you go into it and it's anything to do with... Any, any of the, the Troy cycle, yeah. any mention of uh, Odysseus or any of the heroes that he describes, and Homer gets a credit on IMDb, so he's got hundreds. Yeah, well, he would like fucking hell. Like they've been making the story of Troy for like ever. Oh yeah, yeah. Interestingly, neither of the Coens had actually read it. Yeah, they they based it loosely on what they've accumulated through like cultural osmosis. <laughs> yeah, basically. So it is, and it, you know, we all kind of know the story. A little bit. Well, we know it's like the Odyssey's about a journey. Yeah, yeah. And it's about a man trying to get home to his wife. And... While she's trying to beat off all the suitors in the area. Yep. He's a suitor. He's a suitor. Oh, that kid is so freaking cute. I don't want her anywhere near me, but no, she's it's adorable rare. in that role. That R- kid is so Rare for us so to say cute. that kids are cute, but that is a cute kid there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but, um, she's such a little urchin. Oh, no! Actually, one of the only people on set who had read the Odyssey was it's Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, who plays Delmar, and he was actually a neighbor of the Coens, <laughs> and he knew they hadn't seen him in any of any or many of his roles, and they gave him the scripts to look over, and he just assumed it was because they knew he was the classics major. But well, they were like, "No, directed, we want you." Oh, which yes. was the Othello by is Josh Hartnett? Surprisingly, oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, the, the oh, Othello basketball no, players no, no. one. Did he directed or edited it? Both. Oh right, because I saw yeah. he was when he was he was filming this during the day. He was editing. Oh, at night. Yeah, he uh, he directed and edited. Yeah, the uh, Josh Hartnett, your man who was in Save the Last Dance, whose name I can't remember, and he's in a fuck ton of stuff. Is that not Josh Hartnett? No, 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 no. The other guy, he was in Save the Last Dance, that movie with Julia Stiles, where she's the ballerina who goes to the hip-hop school in the inner city. Oh, right, yeah. And it's got Bianca Lawson in it, the woman who never ages. Yes. <laughs> Not really my bag. No, 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 but that's, yeah, he directed this as well, Othello, which is a... That's, that's the basketball Shakespeare one. Yeah, the basketball yeah. Shakespeare one. Yeah. Trying to cash in on the Romeo and Juliet, 10 Things I Hate About You, that whole Yeah, buzz. yeah. So, so this was like, you know, that was Shakespeare. A well-talented man, then. Yes, 
Because he has well a degree, I think at least a degree in, He's classics, degree in classics from, from Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah, so like he knows his stuff. Yes, he does. But they didn't ask him for any info <laughs> on it whatsoever. <laughs> I don't think they even knew he had a class. <laughs> But he's brilliant in this. He's absolutely I brilliant. Um, love he's, I actually think he's my favourite. Oh, of the three. It's, hard, it's so hard he's to pick. He's so sweet. And he is. Delmar is the sweetest of the three. Delmar is just all that is good and innocent in the world. And you just know he's easily led on. And I was devastated to find out that he actually committed a real crime. Yeah, because he knocked over a piggly wiggly. Because yeah, I I had never picked up on that line properly before. Because obviously, well, number one, I'd never heard of you. Didn't know what a piggly wiggly was. Yeah, well, I was vaguely aware, but I think any other time I had watched it, I wasn't aware of what a piggly wiggly was. And the way Delmar talks, I thought he was basically just saying, "I hit a pig with my car." You know, or is wiggling. and then couldn't pay the farmer or whatever, so ended up in prison for that. But no, he knocked over, as in robbed, a Piggly Wiggly, i.e. the chain convenience store in the States. And I was like, no, Delmar. I also just, I also didn't know that Piggly Wiggly had been around for that long, which is quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, because there is a bunch of things in this that are, uh, they time-wise, they fiddle around with a lot of things, but it's such a good it's film, a really I'm going to let them away with all of it. And I think it's only because there's a calendar, there's a calendar in... The no, they mentioned the yeah the, the date, date I think it's on the year, newspapers. Of times, yeah, but uh, a lot of the things that were referenced for the year are the calendar in the recording studio. Yeah, that's run by a blind person. Yep, who doesn't need a calendar. Oh, well, I mean, he needs a calendar, but not it one that's have to be not, accurate. <laughs> well, no, he can have a braille calendar, but yeah. he certainly doesn't need a visual only calendar. Yeah, and it's a visual calendar, and I was like, oh my god, Year. And it's like, yeah, dude's blind. Yeah, that's uh, Stephen Root. Who's who, fucking he's brilliant. I'm off. always happy to see Stephen Root. I love him in Dodgeball. He's great in Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well um, as uh, Boyle's dad. He's the world's most ordinariest vampire in True Blood. <laughs> he's yeah. the guy selling the yeah. blood to yeah um, but he's great in this as the the blind radio host yes um, singing out a tune to the, the guys recording <laughs> and um, the the scene when when the guy the, the guy from the record company comes looking to sign them up and yeah. I don't understand why that scene is in there but I don't care that scene is I think it's only in there to set up the fact that this They're song really has become popular. really popular and then it's it's kind of you get the for? you get another one then where the the woman looking, looking for the for pressing it and they're and, sold out. Yeah, and the way why why do all the convenience store clerks or or store clerks in this talk real really deadpan? Yeah, they have a real deadpan drawl, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, I love that accent. So I'm happy, but they're all without fail completely deadpan delivery. Especially the first one who chastises Everett for saying "damn." Yeah. It's great. Oh, um, even, the guy who that, tells like, them to stay out of the Woolworths too. Yeah, you're proud from the Woolworths. <laughs> I didn't the know Dammer. if it was all of them or the chain or just that one yeah. location. But even that, like, they're, they're, those characters are only on screen for a couple of seconds. Like, what you do, you they all stick with you. Like, even the little kid, Pete's nephew. Oh, who's... Firing shots at them. I think they leave him with the pig on the side of the road. Yeah. But he's driving the car, sitting on like four books with blocks tied to his feet. Yeah. And he really looks like that kid from Deliverance. <laughs> we, we were supposed to be talking about Delmar. We got a little bit yeah. distracted. But it's, it's because the characters are just so fun. But Delmar is. He's, he's the sweetest of them. He's 
you get the impression he's, he's, he's very not well easily, educated. He's, he's very he's, easily yeah. influenced. Definitely. He is kind he is, His brilliant line at the start that tells you that where Everett and Pete are having an argument over who should be in charge and Pete votes for Pete and Everett votes for Everett and Delmar says I'm with you fellas. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the smartest line in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. And they, yeah, it just diffuses the whole situation too. Yeah. Because they've just um the way the movie opens, they're part of a chain gang. Yeah. And um actually the music in that section is really interesting because that's an actual recording of a chain gang. Yeah, that's Paul uh, Paul Lazarus. Yeah. From like, um, I think it's from recorded from around then as well, maybe even a bit earlier. That it that so the pickaxe noise is from, is yeah, from yeah. them as well. And it does make it an incredibly powerful scene. Mm. And then it cuts to them in the field booting <laughs> and falling. Yeah, with Big Rock Candy Mountain playing. Then, yeah. Which yeah. The less said about Big Rock Candy Mountain, the better. Oh, no, I don't think enough people know about that. The, oh, what, the last, the last verse? verse? Yeah, the the original, written but never actually recorded, but what? by the guy who wrote the song, I can't remember his name, puts a completely different slant on the song. Because yeah, because it is a little bit like, you know, kids being lured with that, sweets that, and stuff. That's what it is. I know, it is kids being lured by sweets and stuff. Yeah, the song's, to run away and join yeah, the, the song starts road. when it's a hobo and he's like, hey, I am a hobo. Uh, you should come with me. I'm heading off to the Big Rock Candy Mountain. And he tells the kids, all, the kids about all about what the Big Rock Candy Mountain is and what's there and how awesome it is. But the last verse is the kid responding. And I, I, I can't remember it word for word. But he's basically like, uh, I'm not going off with you to get buggered by you up some hill yeah. or sold off into slavery. You're all right. Um, by, he calls him a jocker. Yeah. And a jocker was a specific type of hobo who used to lure kids for trafficking, for various yeah. reasons. He's a soul stealer, essentially. Yes. The Dutch, yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. whole Dutch thing. Or the, the, the child catcher. Or the child snatcher from, <laughs> from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yep. He's the child snatcher. We did it again. I We're know. supposed to be talking about Delmar. Um, no, but aside from Delmar then, you've got kind of the brains of the operation, who's Ulysses Everett McGill. Yes. Which is George Clooney. Yeah. My, with, possibly my favourite George Clooney role as well. I do very much enjoy him in this. That is some insane facial hair that he's got going on. He's also the most shallow human I've ever met in my life. Oh, he's brilliant. Oh, no, but the way he wakes up. <laughs> my hair. Every time he wakes up. <laughs> it's his hair. Yeah. <laughs> And his pomade. Dapper Dan's pomade. Dapper Dan. I'm a Dapper fuck. Dan man. My ha- No, it's not his pomade. It's his hair treatment. <laughs> yes, it is his hair treatment. And he goes to sleep with a hairnet. Oh. But, yeah, no, he is. He's, he's... He's... Yeah, he's the brains of the operation, essentially. He's like the quick-talking, gift-of-the-gab kind of guy. Oh, yeah. And he, he even says that he, when he's talking to Big Dan Teague later. Oh, he says, I see you've got the gift-of-the-gab like me. But yeah, but he's got a massively high opinion of himself and he's definitely not as clever as he thinks he is. Yeah, well, considering what he's in jail for, what you find out later on. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then he has a line further on where he doubles down on it and says, oh, I'll basically do the same thing again. It's like, Everett, come on. Have you learned nothing? Yeah. Like the film, he does have a good heart as well. Yeah, he's he he's broken out of prison for... What is essentially a noble reason? Yeah, well, to, to n- not give up the ghost for anybody who may not have seen the film. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but changed on either side of him are Pete and... Um, Delmar. Delmar. So he's had to... They've all had to break out. Together, yeah. To get away. And the first thing you see is them trying to hop on a passing train. But Pete can't keep up. 
Oh, fuck. <laughs> that bit's so fucking good. Everett, this is how shallow Everett is. He gets on, he manages to get in and climb onto the boxcar and stands up and starts talking to the hobos. And I think you're supposed to be workers rather than hobos. Well, I would but, yeah. Delmar is like hanging on, Just like, the, like and you yeah. get the impression that the feet are still on occasion hitting the ground. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Pete's behind him, readily running out of steam, and then he trips. Yeah. And then you see Delmar getting whipped off, and then you see Helmar <laughs> get or Everett getting whipped out of the train car. Yeah, it's it's so well done, but it does it. it the first thing Everett does when he hops in is start quick talking. Yeah, he doesn't. He even just turn around to help, help the guys at all, even though he really should, because he's actually attached to them. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he finds that out the hard way, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His hair. But uh, can I just say as well, perfect casting with George Clooney. Yeah, it no, really right. is, and that is who they wanted for the role. But oh, he's so good in it. They're quick. Well, he's from Kentucky as well, so he naturally mm. has a little bit of that accent. Anyway, Kentucky's yeah. very, very soft. The whole movie is full of that beautiful, like dusty roads, soft southern accent. It is, yeah, and and men, age. men in linen, um, morning suits and hats. I just love Pappy. that, Pappy. I. <laughs> We'll get on to Pappy and the others. But they, everybody still. looks so, so like dapper all the time. And I do have a certain nostalgia for that era when men looked smart and women like you had. They do a really, really, really good job of creating an atmosphere of the time yeah. in this film through things like that with costuming and their... The cars. The cars. Because they're all Ford. Um, what the, were they? Ford F... Uh, there's a lot of the, the Ford Model T's and stuff yeah um, which went fast or very very <laughs> fast indeed and then through linking in actual events of the time and stuff yeah, like that you, you get really get a sense face. of place you get baby face you get Tommy Johnson yeah but I just I love even though he's running around the place in convicts outfits the first thing he does is get a fucking comb and fix his hair <laughs> yep <laughs> but uh, of the main three the only one we haven't talked about being Pete oh Pete and the awesome Pete, John Pete, Turturro. Pete Hogwallop. No, Pete. He's. I'm pretty sure he's Hogwallop. I know his daddy says never trust a Hogwallop. Yeah, is that, that that's that's the cousin is is Hogwallop. But isn't I'm pretty he? sure he's a Hogwallop. Yeah, Pete Hogwallop. All right. Yeah, daddy said never trust one. So I don't know what the <laughs> so hell. So don't that. trust yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, John Turturro, much like the other two, fucking brilliant in this role. He kind of falls somewhere in between being the brains of the outfit and the butt of the joke. He's, yeah. He's kind of self-aware. Yeah, I think uh, Everett treats them both as if they were the same. Whereas Pete actually has like a thought in his head. Yeah, I think, and I think as a counterpoint to Everett, who is smarter, sorry. Who, he, Everett thinks he's not as smart as he thinks yeah. he is. Pete is actually probably smarter than he lets on or than he even thinks he is. Yeah. Um, I do love the scene when they meet the sirens. Oh, his freak out. His freak out in oh. the car. The only only other person I think that could have done that any better would have been Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah, just it's, <laughs> it's very reminiscent of Gene Wilder in uh the producers. I'm wet. I'm hysterical. And yeah. I'm wet. It's just the the, the, <laughs> the suddenness of it as well, because you've just barely heard the sirens and he's suddenly like just going and you're like, what? He just screams, pull and over. <laughs> gets out of the car and runs. Yeah. And then his response when they catch up to him. And they're like, who is that? And he's like, I don't know. 
I saw him first. I saw him first, and he, he can't even introduce himself properly. He's just like, "Hey, name it, Pete." <laughs> oh, poor oh, Pete. But uh, no, yeah, John Dutero is great. He really is. But Pete, I, I kind of get the impression as well. He's the rough. We never find out what he's in but prison for. But he only had two weeks left. But yeah, he only had two weeks left. But I kind of get the impression he's maybe the roughest of the three. I think Pete Pete's seen some shit. Just given the background, he like when they rock up to the cousin's farm to try and get him to cut the chains. Yeah. The nephews there taking pot shots at them. Yeah. Asking if they're from the from bank. From the bank, yeah. So I reckon Pete had, Pete's probably gotten into some trouble. Or maybe the bank tried to repossess his farm also and he didn't take too kindly to it. No. But, but I don't, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, we don't find out what he is. No, he just had two years left. Or two weeks two left. Two weeks left. But he is... <laughs> I, he's def- of the three as well. I think he's supposed to be the kind of hillbilliest, mostly just because of cousin Wash. <laughs> yeah, and and some of the things he says. <laughs> yeah, and I mean we know Delmar wants to buy back his farm, but then it's nineteen thirty-seven. It's still the tail end of the Great Depression. Yeah, everybody was losing their fucking farm. Yeah, <laughs> well, Pete's cousin served them horse stew. Yes, that he what butchered the Tuesday. Butchered last Tuesday. Right, it's on the turn. <laughs> and the look on poor Delmar's face when he says that. Uh, but I think for a, like a threesome lead, I can't. I can't think of a film I enjoy more than with the three of these guys. No, the dynamic between them works so well. It's very much a Larry and uh, Curly, Mo Larry and Curly, Curly yeah, yada, yada yada. Three Stooges, yeah, where they have the dynamic down, but there's enough tension and difference between them oh and speaking of the three stooges when they go to the cinema late in the film yeah the film that they're watching is not the three stooges film but they were part of a, a four person act before they were the three stooges oh really yeah it's like somebody and the three stooges and that was one of their films before they went solo oh well is, not is, solo but is that trio. like um the brother that wasn't part of the comedy thing um i've completely forgotten the name of them uh glasses mustache <laughs> the marx brothers yes. great show um uh, i don't know because up until that point i had never heard anything of the fact that there was anything other than the three stooges yeah. and i didn't look no but there is there is a marx brother who was oh, part is. of the marx brothers but they and themselves were also incredibly interesting people outside of it Yes. No, I actually, in that whole scene, I don't really pay attention to what's going on in the movie. I'm just paying attention to Pete going, Don't be dead. <laughs> don't seek the, the treasure. treasure. What? <laughs> uh, there is just so many good, like, nearly every scene is just brilliant <laughs> as they move through it. Like, it doesn't really drag at any points either. Like, No. It is. It's like, it's a nice brisk pace because they get to somewhere and then something happens and they move on, mm. which is very much the same beats as of the Odyssey is they, they find safe harbor. Oh, fuck. It's not. Let's leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it stays safe for a little bit longer. Other times it goes safe pretty much straight and away. Uh, there is a, a moment in this where their hubris gets the best of them as well in the fancy restaurant with Big Dan Teague. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's, there are plenty of points that are yeah. beef for beef from well, the Well, so Pappy's first name is Menelaus. That's right. I completely Menelaus. forgot about that. It was it Menelaus, uh, plant a potato, Pappy, or eat a potato, Pappy O'Donnell? Uh, There's so no, it's much something to do with slogan. the flower. Because isn't, isn't flower his thing? Pappy O'Daniel's old-timey flower. Old-timey like. flower, yeah. Yeah, well, he was um, he was a semi-historic. There was a Pappy O'Daniel, but he wasn't involved in Mississippi politics, and it wasn't flower. He, it was Texas and some other goods that he sold. But um, Papio Daniel is, I think it's Charles Dunning, 
He's great in this as well. Yeah. He's I just so I love fun. the fact that he beats everybody around him with his hat. Yeah. Throws it at them, demands it back, and, and then throws, throws it at them again. again. <laughs> oh, he's great. He's so good. And the, he, the idiot he surrounds himself with, he's got his the, well, it's junior, the which is the son, and then he's got his two sycophants oh. who, who are having a debate at one point in the film over whether they're going to get a kicking from the other side or oh. a paddling from the other side. And whether they should get them some of that reform. <laughs> yeah. And there's like, you can't, he's the reform candidate with the incumbent. Pappy's great. They are all the, the side characters are. We've mentioned Sheriff Cooley at the start and yeah. Dan Teague once or twice. Dan Teague is John Goodman. Played by John Goodman and he's he's the Cyclops. Yeah. He's he, got what he's got an eye patch. Um you see him a couple of times through it. He's one of the kind of adversarial people in it as well. The initial meeting between him and um the boys in the restaurant. It's great. Yeah, and then the the, the following discussion at the picnic the, the way he John Goldman delivers that little speech and he's like you know about it, it is in that that I propose to give you a lesson right now as he's walking around and yeah. grabbing the thing off the tree and, <laughs> what are you doing there big <laughs> yeah I was just going to say Everett's reaction to it is just what you doing there big dad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another thing that I love about this film is the, the nonchalance in which the three main characters react to the madness happening around them yeah. like they're involved in a bank robbery at one point and they're just like fair enough and they get back in the car with the guy and Delmar's <laughs> like when when they're involved with George Nelson in it we're jumping all over the place they meet many people they meet yeah many many it's people it's kind of a Forrest Gumpy type thing oh it's way better than Forrest it Gump. is but like you know the way like there's a lot of people involved in Forrest Gump it's only him going through yeah. the narrative when they meet George Nelson, who happens to pass them as they're walking down a highway. Yeah, picks them up. Meets them in hilarious fashion because when it hits that bump in the road. Oh, that, that thing jumps. <laughs> gets some serious air and it's an old like Ford Model D. Yeah. And it takes off. When they, what was I saying? I've forgotten shit. When Babyface Nelson first picks them up. Oh, and he's asking them what they do and where they're coming from and if they're bad men. And Delmar as well, funny you should ask that. <laughs> and he's handing him out the Walter P90 and he's like, what no, line? He gives him a, a Tommy gun. Yeah, he's like, what line of work? Handing him it out the window and then goes, what line, what of, line of work? What line of work? Yeah, they're just so casual about it. Or when they meet Tommy. Maybe they are serious hardened criminals and this is nothing to them in their lives. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't... Oh. I've never thought too deeply about why they're so nonchalant about it. I just love it. Yeah, it's just... Because everything, even even when they meet Tommy... Um, oh, yeah, they pick... Hey, let's pick up the, that fella at the crossroads and they pick up this guy with the guitar. Yeah. Who's uh, Tommy... Tommy Johnson. Tommy Johnson, mashed potato Johnson. <laughs> um, who actually is the guy who sold his soul Tommy, at the crossroads. Yeah, to- Tommy, the original soul seller Johnson. Which, and then... Robert Johnson wrote, wrote this song, song about, about it. Tommy selling his soul and the legend got attributed to Robert Johnson wrongly. Also aided by the fact that Robert Johnson also died at 27. Yeah. That, that whole yeah. thing. But yeah, no, this it's Tommy Johnson and he does describe what the devil's like as well. Yeah, well, because he says he had to be at the crossroads yeah. to sell his soul. And there again, they're like, oh, 
We that's just been saved. Yeah, yeah. We, why did you do? No, the, the two boys or Delmar's like, why did you do that? And he's like, oh, well, I wanted to play this here guitar real good. And he's like, oh, that's a a silly thing to sell yourself for. And Tommy's response is, I wasn't using it anyway. Yeah. And then yeah, is it Everett has the line of, oh well, that, that's a funny coincidence. Pete and Delmar here have been saved. And yeah, when they got baptism, when that baptism just happens to happen around them, what are they doing at that point? They're they're fighting in the woods about something. They're fighting about the fact that Everett stole... Oh, the pocket watch the from pocket the cousin. The pocket watch from yeah, cousin yeah, yeah, watch yeah. while Delmar repeatedly tries to offer him some gopher. Yeah! <laughs> gopher on a stick. Yeah. Care for some gopher? Yeah. It's like, oh my God, that's real terrible. Gopher? <laughs> yeah, he just keeps offering it to him. But Tommy's great as well. He's not in it. He pops in and out. Um, He kind of hangs around for a little bit. He does the song for them. And then when they make it to the, the city, he goes on his own way no it's the second time that the sheriff show up oh yeah he, they decide they, to sleep outside and the sheriff shows up and thinks they're in the barn and he just legs it straight away yeah, whereas they go gone. to see what's well, happening I don't really blame him no especially not considering that if he saw the sheriff fuck it's the <laughs> devil I'm getting out of here yeah <laughs> oh no this is Ulysses' first line Everett's when he gets on the train Say, any of you boys smithies or if not smithies per se were you otherwise trained in the metallurgic arts before straightened Straightened circumstances forced you into a life of aimless wandering. Oh, so they are hobos. Yeah, they're hobos. And then he gets dragged off the chain. Off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Hogwallop up an R-U-N-N-O-F-T. <laughs> well, between that and the gophers actually is a great... Uh, but remind I, me, sorry, of yeah. the... They're really good at using the rule of threes when it comes to gags and this. Yeah. Between the, the R-U-N-N-O-F-T, the gophers, and there's a couple of other things that come back three times. Dang, we in a tight spot. Yeah, that's in the one scene, and I love that. I honestly thought he said that way more. It's just in that one scene where he says, Dang, we in a tight spot. And I love it. I just love it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, care for some gopher? No, thank you, Delmar. A third of a gopher would only raise my appetite without bedding her back down. <laughs> it's a fantastic line. Yeah. The dialogue in this is just, I mean, it's it's typical Coen Brothers, not typical Coen Brothers dialogue. It's as typically good as you would expect Coen Brothers dialogue to be. Yeah. And it is, it has all that real nice southern old timey flair in the language as well. Well, the first. After they fall back off the train mm. and they're trying to work out where to go and they're saying, oh, we can go over into the bayou. And the old man on the handcart comes along who's essentially a fake. Well, he he is supposed to be... I, at first, I think I just kind of said, ah, he's just a blind seer because Greek myths are literally lousy with blind seers. Yeah. But there is, I forgot, there is a specific one. I just figured Tiresias, he was like a, a narrator-style voice. No. Like like, like in Fair Verona, we lay our scene like that kind of No, guy. there's a there's a seer early on in the Odyssey called uh, Tiresias. Tiresias, I can't remember the pronunciation. And that's who the old man is supposed to be. But he's I great as well. I love the way he says cow. I love the way he says obstacle. <laughs> I, his whole delivery of that gives me everything that I want. It's, it, it, he has that just, it's, it's 100% his accent. Just, I love it. It's like, please come over here and talk to me, please. Okay. No, the delivery is, there's something real, like. No, when he says you will see a cow, I just love that bit. <laughs> It is. His delivery is fantastic. I don't know who that old man is, but you are great, old man. You are great. But again, he's only in it at the start and a tiny bit at the end. Yeah. But I love him. All the characters are so fucking well done. Like, well, because even... you believe that they're they're coming from somewhere and going somewhere else. Like, because when they're when they meet him for the first time, when they well, when they meet him, and he, they ask him who he works for. Yeah. And he says he doesn't work for anybody. 
I work for no man. Yeah. I have no name. Yeah. And that there may be why you find, or had trouble finding gainful employment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the way they have done all the characters, when they kind of, the guys are just coming across them. And they do, they feel like characters that have lived a life prior to mm. us seeing them and will live a life after they depart from our lives. Oh, and he's Joe in the 40-year-old virgin. Who? The old man. Oh, right. Old blind man. But yeah, you get the impression that these are fully fleshed yeah, out people, even though they... Being, they're just passing through. I think maybe it's to do with the way that a lot of them do come in and out throughout it. Yeah, there's there, a lot there of are crossover these crossing yeah. that you feel like yeah, it is a much. Because you more... do see George later on. Yeah, you see George comes back. They're at the with very him end. for a little bit, and mm. it, it's very, very funny. <laughs> yes, George is great. I can't remember the name of the actor who played him. Um, uh, it's like Michael something Italian sounding Balladucci or something. I'm probably way off. Uh, no, Michael Badalucio. I'm gonna Badalucio. I, I was pretty close. I think I had the L and the D backwards, but <laughs> the first half of his surname is Bada, so automatically all I want to say is Bing. Bada Bing. Yeah, but it's Bada Luco. Bada Luco. Bada Luco. Bada Lucho. Bada Lu- I don't know. He's fucking brilliant in this. He is. And he he plays both sides of the manic so well. Yeah, when he just gets up and walks off from the fire, he's like, "I'm just gonna go over here now, boys." And yeah, he just what's the point of it all? And then when you see him again at the end, and he's back on top, he's just. Yeah. Because when they meet him, he's up on top and he's trying to break a record for bank most number of banks hit in, in yeah. like two hours. Oh, and that's that's totally on brand for the real babyface Nelson. Oh yeah, completely. I uh, I did a little bit of research, by which I mean I listened to a twenty minute YouTube documentary while in work yesterday because <laughs> that's the level of research you get on monorants. But yeah, no, he was an absolute out and out psycho. But super interesting as well. He worked for Al Capone when he was really young. He was too much of a psycho to be an enforcer for Al Capone's like racketeering mob. Too many people were turning up dead instead of that you're supposed to, instead of beaten and paying their Why bills. Why didn't he go near the Irish mob then? Um, they would have loved that. No, he he ended up uh, in prison and and jumped out and then went over to like California or something and got in with another mob boss and then went off kind of on his own with a gang and was doing a bunch of bank robberies and tried to work for Dillinger and Dillinger was like, nah, piss off. Well, he helped, then, he helped Dillinger escape from prison. Yes, because then a while later, one of Dillinger's gang approached him and said, yeah, look, we want to work with you and we're going to break Dillinger out. They did, they did a bunch of bank robberies together and when Hoover clamped down, yeah. Dillinger was public enemy number one and Babyface Nelson was public enemy number two and he hated the fact that he was public enemy number two yeah. and he really hated Babyface Nelson. It, you, know, you the bit see in the that movie. actually in this, oh, no. which if I called him Babyface. Real yeah. Babyface Nelson probably would have shot that lady yeah. in the face. Yeah. At one point during one of the bank robberies, Dillinger actually had to like knock the gun away from Babyface's, not knock it away, but like knocked his hand so that he wouldn't shoot a hostage in the head. Well, they, they have some allowances in this considering he died in 1934. True. Uh, and this is set in what, 1937 ish? Yeah, but we get, we only get the fun babyface Nelson yeah. in this. Not so much the murdery side. No. But it is, it's, it's all these characters that really lend to some historical, some semi-historical that mm. just lend to the, the world of the film. Yeah, well, I think when they actually make it to the town, kind of to, that they've been trying to get to. Yeah. After, Picking up Tommy, they record the song to get some money because there's they find out that there's a guy who will pay them for sticking into his can. Mm. 
They record um, Man of Constant Sorrow. Sorrow. They take off being like brilliant, also having scammed the poor blind man out of an extra $20. (laughs) Or more. Or more, depending on how many people they said there were. And a couple more instances along the way when they finally make it to the town and there's this big government, this big rally going on because mm. there's a vote coming up for the new governor. The governor. Yeah. And Everett's kids are on stage singing, the three little kids. Yeah. Hey folks, other mono here during the edit. We get a bit spoilery here, so skip forwards about five minutes on the off chance you haven't seen the film. And that's when you find out that the wife is getting married. And remarried, yeah. Is getting remarried and he's not very happy about that. <laughs> no. And that is actually the reason why he broke out of prison. Uh, that's a spoiler. <laughs> no, not really. Kind of is. It's kind of the only spoiler in the film. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. I can just put spoiler on this one. Well, I don't know how else you'd work in the wife. Because the whole thing is, he's a sinner. Yeah. And he's bona fide. He's bona fide. He's bona fide. He's not bona fide. He is not. <laughs> he's a sap. No, well, I wouldn't want to get in the box. No, you can throw a punch, but he's a sap. He also does look like that guy from um, uh, Harold and Kumar, Get the Munchies. Oh, are you in a special relationship with this bush? There's a guy that comes into our work that looks like that. (laughs) There's Now, that absolutely has to be a future film for this podcast, is Harold and Kumar, Get the Munchies. But sorry, back back to the, the... He really does look like that guy, though, and it doesn't help the fact that he's really tall and really lanky, and he has, because those, like, real thin Sparks mustaches were, like, the yeah. fashion. And uh, George Clooney, it kind of, because it's a little bit more stubbly, yeah. isn't quite so pedo-y. <laughs> yeah, plus the character like name the is... Like, the Sparks mustache is... <coughs> oh, the... Vernon T. Waldrop. Yeah, the name of Vernon T. Waldrop isn't exactly a badass name. And he's name. a campaign manager, so he's making good money and he's willing to take on all seven of the girls. That's a lot of kids, yeah. That is a lot of kids, especially when he meets, he, he finds Penny, the wife, yeah. in the Woolworths, and she's holding the baby, and he's like, and Everett's like, who's, who's that? <laughs> this is Starla. Yeah. What? Warvy. Warvy, that's Warby. what they call. He's like the little Warvy girl. Like Warvy, but they refer to them as I'm re- like when she's talking about being responsible for the little Warvy girls. Yeah, the little Warvy gals. The little Warvy. Not gals. my daughters. The little Warvy gals. Yeah. <laughs> that is probably one of the only things I would have to say negative about this film is that when they get to the town there, it does slow down a bit. It slows down a bit because the pace up to that point has been really fast. Not like too fast or anything, but just. You're, you're moving through events and you're mm. meeting lots of characters really fast and no scene really takes too long. And then they get to the town and I do feel it slows down a bit. Not terribly or anything. Just if if I had to criticise the film, that would probably be the only thing I could come up with. Yeah, well, that's there's a little bit of kind of reaching around because they're... I suppose he's not sure what to do. He doesn't really know what to do. The other two have gone with him on the promise of getting this treasure, mm. which doesn't appear to be happening. And the whole reason that they're on a deadline is because they're damming the va- they're flooding the valley to create a reservoir, and that's where the farm is. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, I buried this treasure here, and we need to go and dig it up, otherwise it's going to be under a lake." Yeah. Which also happens to coincide with this other event he's trying to stop. <laughs> well, no, I think it's I think he knows that the the ring is at the lake. Yeah. Well, at least in my head, I always assumed. He kind of knew he was going to have to get the ring. And that was why he mentioned the lake at all. Or maybe it was just it was nearby. Yeah. Well, maybe he thought she'd be there. And they just happened to see her in the town. Because that's it. Like, when they arrive into town, the rally's going on. True, And that's yeah. what gets his attention is he goes, he goes Warby, Warby Gals. Gals. Yeah, so up to that point, he might have been... No, 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 no. The McGill. <laughs> to try and go there first. Daddy! 
Mama said you'd been hit by a train. <laughs> those three those three children are awful nonchalant about the fact that their father got hit by a train and is now standing before them. That's not your daddy. Like your two, daddy got hit by a train. Those two, those two facts don't seem to bother the kids. The way that Penny talks about it as well. She's like, perfectly respectable people get hit by trains all the time. Why the judge in the next town over got hit by a train? <laughs> yep. And she's telling the kids, don't talk to your dad. Don't talk to him. He's not your daddy. Your daddy was hit by a train and he's standing right there. I know. It's great. And then when they're having the actual fist fight, which is hilarious, him and the... Oh, she just calls him a no-account drifter, isn't that it? It's like, who is that man? He's not my husband. (laughs) Which is true, because she got a divorce. That's why she's able to get to marry Waldrop. Waldrop. I wouldn't want to get a fist fight with him, though, because he absolutely knocks the shit out of Everett. Uh, he, oh yeah, no, you don't. That's what I love about that as well. So you're not expecting it to go that way, and Waldrop just wipes the floor with him. Like <laughs> it's so. Uh, why? Why does he have that boxing stance where it's like wrists out? <laughs> but and he just punches him square in the nose. Yeah, like quite a few times, and then you don't even see the rest of the fight. Yeah, you, you just, just hear see- him getting walloped while. Uh, Penny is saying that he's not my husband and he's a no account drifter and then you see him getting thrown out yes a la jazz jazz jazzy jazz oh sorry of course (laughs) 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 but on the on the more kind of technical side of things it's not not like a a mad visually stunning film but there's a couple of things that I do they colour correct they had to colour not colour correct the fuck out of it but they really wanted it to look like an old sepia yeah the 1930s archival images there was a woman who went around and photographed a lot of depression era south yeah and I cannot for the life of me remember her name I have to go look it up and a lot of like the two kids carrying the blocks of ice yeah, that's based that's on one her of her photos. photos. There's yeah. a lot of them that were based on her photos, and they really wanted to have that kind of like warm tones that she used. Mm. And they shot it in Mississippi, and Mississippi is green as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, greener than Ireland. Yeah, like it's said. real swampy, so it's yeah. all like green and lush, and that's where you get like those big old oaks with the old the Spanish moss hanging out mm. of them, and like you get a couple of avenues of the big oak trees in this. There's one shot in particular where they're hitchhiking that I love. Yeah. Although I have to say the straight, straight roads make me want to kill myself. Yeah. There's one or two shots where you can just see them going off into... Yeah, not my bag at all. Thank you. (laughs) Who was it has the line that in Colorado the cops will pull you over just for some company? Because the roads are so long and straight. That's what's his name? Real deadpan. Uh, is that Reginald D. Hunter? No. Rich Hall. Yes. Yes, it was Rich Hall. Yeah, yes, yeah. it was. That That's what that gave me. Um, <laughs> but because it was also depressionary, you didn't want it all the lush and green and, and fertile yeah, no, looking. So it, it has that dusty, everything's dried out. Yeah. And it's the real dead heat of the summer. Mm. And even then, at the start, it starts in black and white for a couple of seconds and it slowly fades into this sepia-ish colour. But it's a real slow fade and you're not, you're almost not sure, are we in full colour yet? It's it's not quite Dorothy going through the door into the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, no, it's not. Where they literally painted her black and white. Yeah, it's nowhere near (laughs) as as stark a contrast between that. But that fade in at the start, I think, is really nice. And I think, yeah, they did, they, they did. Especially because all the colours in it, all the costuming, the colours are very muted mm. as well. It's a lot of soft blues and browns and, and whites and because it's... And creams and... 
Yeah, and because it's the deep south, it's all very light fabrics as well, mm. which lend themselves to being softer colours. A lot of dungarees. Well, yeah, overalls. Yeah, a lot of overalls. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of overalls, lots of linen suits on the gentlemen. Lots of, I, and um, all the shopkeepers have those wonderful, oh, that, like the, the, the sea things. suspender yes, things. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, no, the costuming is fantastic. They they paid so much attention to, to small details like that. In yeah. It, that it, it 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 just creates such a fucking awesome film. It really does. Junior O'Donnell's pants are probably one of my favourite things in the whole film. Oh, the ones that are practically under his tits? Yeah, they go all the way up and around. I love <laughs> them. I think they're amazing. Oh, they are. Pappy O'Donnell's opponent, who you meet at the rally where you find out about the Warby Girls and that... Uh, Homer Stokes. Yeah, yeah, and that and that Everett's been hit by a train supposedly. He's great fun. Homer is, but just kind of for the the switch in him at the end. Yeah. He's not. I don't think he's as much. I don't think he's as much fun as Pappy. No, he's not as much fun as Pappy, but he is fun. Yeah, and I think it is because the way they set up Pappy, you think maybe he's going to clash with our heroes. Yeah, not the reform candidate. Not the reform candidate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you come across him a couple of times where you hear like the the trucks driving down the road and it's like, mm. vote for... Vote for Homer. Vote for Friend Robin. of the little man. Yeah. yeah. And he has an actual little person. He does. Yeah, that he uses as a campaign prop. Yes. Uh, and again, that's based on some Governor. politician from back in the day who, yeah. who did a similar thing. I can't remember who. There was a lot of that. Yeah. And yeah, there's, just, there's just tons of trivia for this film. There's yeah. so much. But one of my favourite bits is the fact that in the KKK rally, <laughs> it was a lot of... Uh, the coloured guard are coloured. Well, they were, because <laughs> nearly all the extras in the KKK rally were black guys. Yeah. And... <laughs> that, yeah. Well, in fairness, are you going to turn down the opportunity? Well, it was the, it was some marching band that they used. Because they have that, so they that can do whole, the formations. And oh, stuff. when they do their happy so they trappy use, da- the the dance that they do, that's like shaking the heels. It's their super secret dance. Their super secret dance. That why do that sounds all like the these Wizard o- of Oz chant? Oh, the OEO. Yeah. Why do all super secret societies have a stupid fucking dance? Oh, they have to. They have to have these, uh, and especially ones like that, that like they want to claim how old and, and like sacred their traditions are, but they're only about fucking 200 years old. So they're like, oh, we have to have this dance thing and we have this secret handshake and we have this. Yeah. Who developed their liturgy? Like, calm down. Oh, yeah. Oh, she, you even hear in this when the, the oh, when grand he, dragon yeah. is going on about how, you know, we don't want anybody ruining our culture. We don't want no darkies. We don't want no. Yeah. yeah white supremacist cake. <clears throat> yeah. No, no. But he said, we don't want no darkies. We don't want no Jews and we don't want no papists. And I'm like. What's wrong with the papists? Well, no, I mean, I, no, the KKK don't like Catholics, and that's fine, but, um, well, that's not fine, but, but these pricks are talking about how great their white culture is, and they're saying, oh no, but Catholics are horrible too. And it's like, well, what white culture are you talking about? Well, they were the, what, like most the, the two or three hundred year old Protestant culture? How old is the Episcopalian? Uh, well, but Any, of, yeah, Lutheran didn't like what was that sixteen hundreds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, yeah, yeah, fuck off, <laughs> fuck off with your your ancient hallowed traditions fuck that off. are like twenty sh- years old. Fuck off. But anyway, yeah. So it was a bunch of black dudes in the KKK uniforms. That's brilliant. And I I would say as well. I I'm just going to assume 
They filmed in Mississippi. Yeah. You don't want to put out a casting call for no, extras. No, no, For that scene. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Just in case you not get any actual members. Not in Mississippi. There are actual some downtowns there still. Yeah, you don't want to get any actual members. So how do you make sure that you don't get any actual KKK members as extras? Get Hire a bunch of black dudes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that photo of the Grand Dragon in full garb in Plus, surgery. Remember there was like yeah. some that he's like been impaled on something, and I'm pretty sure every person of color in that hospital piled into that operating room for that photo to be like, <laughs> "Hi, we all helped." <laughs> I, I no, that's another thing is I'd say it would probably piss off actual KKK yeah. members to know that there were black people wearing their robes and that this film obviously makes fun of them. Oh god, yeah. and rightly so. Yeah, because I'm not bricks. Yeah, um, the uh, the other film I think that makes great great fun of the KKK is Blazing Saddles. Yeah. <laughs> Hey boys, look who I found! <laughs> Where are all the wet women at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck the KKK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 1785 is the Episcopal, Episcopalian Church. Oh, you know, why are a lot of the KKK from Episcopalian backgrounds? Um, it's the main Protestant kind of denomination in, in the South. In the US. Alright. Most, most of them would be Episcopalian. Alright, yeah. okay. I kind of thought it might have been Lutheran. Eh, they were kind of one and the same. I mean, that was They're just a stab minor, in the dark. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but what were we talking about? Uh, oh, I just wanted to say that was that was one of my favourite bits of trivia. That was all that was. <laughs> Episcopalians don't surrender to the Pope's authority. That's the main difference. Well, no Protestants do. Yeah. As far as I'm aware. Yeah, no, but they, yeah. It's just, it's all fucking bollockology. It is, yeah. but before, before we... I was going to say descend into, but continue talking about the KKK and their fuckery. Shall we talk about the awesome music in this film? Yes, because a uh, really weird choice in the KKK scene to use Odeth, but it works. It does, but not as good as the Supernatural or the version they use in Supernatural. Oh, to introduce death? To oh. introduce actual death. Yeah, I love that version. But as well as being a phenomenal soundtrack, like it's a great CD to just put in and listen. Like, there are many albums that have great... Romeo and Juliet. OST, yeah, great OSTs. But you might only hear three or four no, of this is bits of that song yeah. throughout that film. You hear everything in this film. And it is the gold standard of how to use music in films. Well, Zack Snyder. There was two other albums and a whole documentary just about the music. Yeah, it was about Oh Sister, Where Art Thou? And Our Brother, Where Art Thou? Two, I think. No, it was or... like Oh Sister and Oh Sister 2. Oh, all right. Yeah, it starts with the, the Chain Gang song... Which I've forgotten what it's called. Poe po Lazarus. Yeah. And then it's Big Rock Handy Mountain. Then it's Down to the River. Yeah. Um, I can't remember, but the, the order of tracks on the CD is the it exact is the order, order they appear in the film in, yeah. as well. And it's just a beautiful blend of like bluesgrass and folk and old Delta blues and Bible songs and old timey music. I as love they... the fact that they keep calling it old timey music. Yeah, is that not when old timey music is from? Is that, that is not... old timey music. That's what I was going to say. Like, you're, you're in old timey. So no, is that no, not no, we no, like no, some no, of that no, brand new music? No, 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 no. This is the same problem that we had the other day when we were actually listening to the radio and classic rock is now Nirvana. No, that's the opposite of this. Yeah. <laughs> How can it, it can't be old timey music if that's what it was written. <laughs> Well, though, actually, in fairness, Man of Constant Sorrow was written in, like, 1913. Seven. Yeah, I was about to say 17. So, but... at that point, it was a 24-year-old song. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, if Nirvana's classic rock, well, that could be an old-timey song. Well, considering in the 1950s, song. I'm pretty sure at one point, the first four songs in the charts were the same song, just different covers of it. Oh, it used to happen all the time yeah. in the 50s and the 60s, yeah. yeah. So, to actually have original, unique music from around the time was mm. kind of 
kind of inspiring. <laughs> yeah, some of but it the wasn't blues, really... a lot of the blues, a lot of the really, really good old blues is from that time. Oh yeah, all the Delta blues, like, like Muddy Waters and stuff like that, were all around. Yeah, t- um, well, Cap- Muddy Waters a bit later, but um, Cap-, your... Cap Calloway, not so much blues. Of, he, was like, he did yeah, a bit but of blues he was around he... the thirties. Yeah, well, no, his was more of a different style, but yeah, you're um, you're, you're Robert Johnson's um, the guy who wrote the original Man of Constant Sorrow, Blind Richard Burnett. Oh um, yeah, they all have great names too. All um, the old blues players. Our favorite, whose name eludes me, who did the original Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Ah, um, Kill the guy. Ah, oh, what is his name? It's like Money Waters, but it's not. Is he mad something? Is he blind something? Lead Belly. Lead Belly. Lead Belly. He's got the Hitler blues. Oh, that's right. Lead yeah. Belly did do the Hitler blues. I love, I love the names of blues songs. Like the one that Tommy plays, I think is Hard Time Killing Floor Blues. Yeah. I just love the names. They're great. But it is, it's such a good soundtrack. I, yeah, the soundtrack is well worth a listen to, even if you don't like And I mean, I was, I, this is, this will show you how good of a soundtrack it was. This film came out when I was 14. I was listening to Korn and fucking Limp Biscuit and, and Linkin Park and all the new metal. And I still loved all the music of this. That's how well put together this album is. Well, the this only thing it's is, is some like Zydeco. And then I would have been like super, super happy. Which? Zydeco. It's a little bit more upbeat. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty. I think the only the only down part is that well, that's just I don't like is the the three little girls singing in the highways. Oh, that's just it's really really high pitched. It's up there. I yeah, I just don't in like that. In the highways. I, I just don't it's like the way they say it. They say it like fucking Linda Belcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only track I don't like, and that that's when I'm listening to the soundtrack. Yeah. In it's the context of singing. the film, it's fine. It's little kids singing. You gotta like. Be down with little kids singing. Yeah, which I'm not. Lead Belly also Midnight Special. Ah, uh, the original Midnight Special. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh, cool. For first, the passenger train is ever love and light. Yeah, that's yeah. that's Midnight Special. Yeah, the, 1923 the... Country Blues. Yeah, well, that's the, there's so so many uh, songs. A lyrics appearing in the song were first recorded in print by Howard Odom in 1905. I was thinking, even, so Midnight Special's been around for way even, longer than I thought. Even Lead Belly was doing covers of other people's yeah. songs as well. Like, but yeah, that's it. So many songs from the sixties and seventies are just straight up rock covers of Delta Blues songs. Yeah, and yeah, Delta Blues is great. I really enjoy um, Delta Blues. Lead Belly's real name, just for reference, is Hoodie William Lead Belly Leadbetter. A hoodie, that's why I was thinking it was something like Muddy Waters. Yeah, yeah. hoodie. Uh, we're getting off track again, so I, I think it might be time to wrap up. <laughs> I'm sorry, he has a song called Boil Weevil? Bowl Weevil, probably. Bowl Weevil. B-O-L-L Weevil. Bowl Weevil, yeah. A Bowl Pre- Weevil? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Presidents of the USA also have a song called Bowl Weevil that comes, dr- <laughs> comes directly before Peaches on their self-titled album. Also, Lead Belly, two words, uh, as that is the spelling used on his tombstone and by his foundation. And is it L-E-A-D or L-E-D? L-E-A-D space belly. Cool. But <laughs> anything about the film you'd like to talk about before we wrap up and not lead belly related? Um, no, I've, 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 I've rabbit holed at this point, so I don't think I can crawl my way back <laughs> out. I like, really... dig up, stupid. <laughs> the Delmar's freak out is just as much fun as Pete's freak out when Delmar freaks out over Pete's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Delmar's Freak Out is brilliant. No, the three boys together are just jo- a joy to watch interacting. They are. They're 
just I can't praise them highly enough. It is, it is the acting, the writing. And you get completely the, sucked into this because you want them all. You you want to know what the fuck is going to happen next because everything mm. that seems to happen to them just seems to get matter a matter. Yeah, you can't, every time they get to a point, you're like, oh fuck, they're done for. Yeah, uh, like does Pete have a brother? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and. It just all these little coincidences and near misses that happen in it, and you get because it's based off the Odyssey, you do get this kind of notion of shits being nudged mm. into directions. Oh yeah, and I think I think I said this off air, but I I think this is probably one of the greatest journey slash adventure films. It it is maybe not adventure, but like journey type films of the last twenty or thirty years. Like I don't. Oh, the previous like, one being Homeward Bound. <laughs> <laughs> but even like even once I say like Detroit Rock City or I'd even include oh the best like, the best journey like, film of all time the Warriors or yeah or the Warriors <laughs> or even Jane Son and Bob Strike Back I would call a journey film yeah you know what I mean where it's more about the events that happen to him on the way as opposed that to the make up the film as opposed yeah. to the destination and this Can one ball is, run <laughs> yeah there's there's so many but th- this is one of the the last great ones I really think I yeah no there's something about this that is so. It it's a joy to watch this. It really, really is. It's and it doesn't matter who you are. There's it's funny. It's charming. It's witty. There's some love. There's like a little bit of peril. Mm. There the characters in and of themselves are just captivating. Yeah, I think something John Turturro said to to Tim Blake Nelson on set is is good to sum it up as well. He told them on the first day of filming, he said, the way it works with their movies, and I've been in enough of them to consider myself an authority, is that you take the script, and the movie's going to be two times better than the script. And the script is a classic. Tim, we're going to be part of a classic. And it is. It's yeah. a classic. It no, it, absolutely it really is, is a modern day classic. I, I do love the fact that um, George Clooney sent the script to his cousin. Was it uncle? Who has a very, and got him to record it. Yeah. And that's how he learned it. Because yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't understand it when it was written down. Where he wanted to get like the drawl right and stuff like that. But yeah. it, but the family member omitted all the curse words yeah. from it, and he didn't know until he arrived on set. And the the directors were like, "Um, you you got a curse." <laughs> yeah, where's you the curses? For, you keep forgetting to say "dang." <laughs> Damn it! One of the other bits of trivia that I, I can't let pass because I know you'll probably get a kick out of it is the cow that gets run over. No, the cow. It's a CGI creation by Digital Domain. But they didn't have to work from scratch because they already had a cow design in their files. From Twister? Nope. <gasps> from the one that got eaten in Lake Placid. Ah! The one that Betty White feeds to the crocodile! Well, it doesn't, I think it needs, does it need a few? Betty but, White has been, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and then she's like, uh, that's why there's a Lake Placid too, because at the end she's like got baby, like yeah. little hatchlings. Possible, and like, yay, Betty possible White. future film for the podcast? I love Lake Placid. Although we've just spoiled the ending, but. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? I love Lake Placid. It's a brilliant, like, monster film, because it's oh, not yeah, like it's a great. monster monster, it's just a giant thing doing its giant thing, because it is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, that's yeah that's the same when it walks out and it's probably very similar it, well it gets proper ploughed out of it by w- the car but it also gets milled out of it by a crocodile which in that scene if I remember right comes, comes out of the water and would probably snap yeah I could see snaps yeah, it, it really and similar. then rolls it yeah so I could actually pro- <laughs> I'm gonna go now yeah, I knew that. I knew go that watch the pair of them and see. Yeah, no. I'll let you. I'll let you go do and see a scene by scene comparison, and we shall wrap up to then. see how much of the cow is the same cow. Because I was there going, there wasn't a cow. 
cow in Jurassic Park. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, nope. that was a goat. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so thanks for joining us, guys. We will be back next week with another decided film because we're on a bit of a roll, it seems. That's if it arrives on Monday. Who knows with Amazon? Oh, shit. No, that's right. Yeah, no, we had a decided film and now... I managed to get my hands on a oh, copy on of something, something I've been trying to, to get for, for fucking ages. So we have one of two films to cover next week. It depends on the post. <laughs> yes, it all depends on the Irish It's post. in this country now, which is good because like, I don't think the UK post is going to be working for the next couple of weeks. No, no. Everybody in England is quite sad today. Yes. Aww. Aww. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, if that false sympathy hasn't put you off, dear English listeners, thanks for joining us. And we will be back next week. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want, you can head back and listen to all of our previous podcasts. We also cover Amazon's superhero TV show, The Boys. And you can head over to Mono Rants The Boys and listen to them there. Or if you want, you can come and find us on the socials on Twitter at RantsMono, on Instagram at MonoRants underscore the underscore boys, or you can send your own rants to MonoRantsPodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. I completely forgot that this is the movie that originated the animals maybe in simulated peril. Are you fucking serious? I just remembered it. No, I wait to the end of the fucking podcast after I do the sign-off and you fucking pick this up. We are Science Fiction Remnant. This is the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. We are the Caribbean Science Fiction Network. We are Monorats. We are One Tour Level 2 Podcast. This is Sci-Fi.